Welcome to the African Tech Roundup, episode 97. Now, this is where we round up the week's most important tech, digital, and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andy Masubu, and I'm really glad you could join me. And for the first time in a long time, I won't be rolling solo on this episode because I ran into a good mate of mine uh, in Cape Town a few days ago at a conference that we were both speaking at. And we had such a great conversation about, well... A lot of stuff, really. Um, and I thought it'd be awesome to have, you know, chat through some of the big stories of the week and just just talk, man. And and so um, you might hear some, you know, noise in the background. That's because we're on location. We had to kind of work out where we could, you know, where our paths could cross and all that. Ladies and gentlemen, please, I give you the marketing genius, the very Zambian author, speaker, and my very good friend, Musa Kalenga. What's up, bro? Hey, man. Hey, man. How you doing? And uh, hello, Africa. Tell me how you do it. <laughs> <laughs> you took us back with I that one. To, I had to. I had to take it back to the age, right? <laughs> I know you had to do the thing. Um, I mean, we know each other way back. I mean, I know this guy when he had uh, cornrows in his head, he was dancing hip-hop, and then he, then he became a serious, like, a serious operator in... Um, in corporate marketing, yeah, yeah, it's just incredible to have you on the show, and it almost feels like a full circle moment for me. Absolutely, I mean, it's been how many years now? Huh? Lots of different lifetimes within uh, within those years, but it's good to be back and uh, well done on the show, man. This is uh, fantastic. You've kept it going. Episode ninety-seven. That's that's hella good, man. Hella good. So thank you, thank you for having me here, man. Absolute pleasure. And of course, to those of you who don't know him as well as I do, you might know him uh, from back in the day when he had. This amazing uh, hybrid uh, agency, I think it was called Monate Fellas, correct? Correct, yeah, that was uh, where it all started. Um, trying to break the mold even back then. So we were trying to disrupt research at the time, collecting data on mobile phones, uh, which morphed into IHOP, which morphed into a short stint at NetBank, and then, uh, and then my last stint, which was at, uh, at Facebook as the client partner for the Africa business. Yeah, Dalg, and of course you put that mantle down to pick up your own damn thing, dude. <laughs> Absolutely, it's a good way to put it, my own damn thing. <laughs> so that's what he's doing right now. Man has just uh, authored an amazing book. You need to go get it right now. Almost a year ago, we were sponsored by uh, Audible, and your book needs to get on there, man. Well, I mean, give me the connect. I mean, it's uh, it's been out for a few months now, so people are reading it. But yeah, whatever platforms there are, it's important for us to share our stories. You know, I'm passionate about that. So hopefully that uh, that book is able to inspire someone or create a thought or spark something, you know. But uh, yeah, get it. Get it if you can. And what's it called? Tell the people. It's called Ladders and Trampolines. So uh, yeah, it's just anecdotes and, and stories based on some of my experiences in corporate South Africa, some of the ventures that I started, um, and essentially it's just there to inspire people. It's a bit of a um, it's a bit of a story about my life, but I think the story is right in the beginning. So I'm working on another book. Funny enough, so breaking news again. Um, so hopefully there'll be a nice follow up to that towards the end of this year as well. Oh, snap. That's awesome. And so uh, this is what you can look forward to. Uh, we're going to talk through uh, some of the bigger you know, news stories coming out of the last few weeks. Um, but we'll also get to some of uh, the things we talked about at FCB Africa Conference 2017, where we were both invited to speak. You said some incredible things that got me thinking and I had questions about. And we're going to talk about that a little later on. We'll get through the news. Um, so you stick around. If you're listening right now, thank you so much for joining us. Um, but let's do this first. This episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by GoDaddy. GoDaddy makes registering domain names fast, simple, and most importantly, affordable. Now, they're the world's largest domain registrar. They're trusted by over 13 million customers around the globe, and they provide everything you need to get your business set up online, including award-winning 24-7 support. 
Now, to save 30% on a new domain name or to use any of their other services, go to trygodaddy.com forward slash African Tech. Now, that's trygodaddy.com forward slash African Tech to save yourself 30%. Before we talk about some of the big headlines from the past few weeks, I need to let you, Musa, know, as well as everyone else listening, uh, in fact, remind our listeners that... Um, uh, Afrobytes Tech Conference is going down in Paris. It's definitely the place to be uh, between June 8th and 9th, 2017. Now, we're really honored here at the African Tech Roundup to be one of their partners this year. And I'll be speaking alongside a killer list of individuals like Toro Herrero of Draper Dark Flow VC, Aaron Fu of Nest VC, Yinka Adegoke of Quartz, Annie Mutamba of Meridia Partners, Edith Bro of the World Bank, Inolua Aboyeji of Flutterwave, Claude Grinitsky of True Africa, and so, so many more. You get the picture. Our friends at Afrobytes have asked me to share two important points of information. One, super early bird registration closes on March 15th, 2017. So get a hustle on to get your tickets at dope prices. And number two, while it was previously announced that the event would be happening at the new Station F campus, a pipe burst, would you believe it, in the sub-levels underneath the, uh, the venue. Uh, it, this was just a few weeks ago. It flooded the whole place. So the world's biggest startup campus won't actually be ready to open in time for uh, Afrobytes Conference. But not to worry. The event will still go ahead as planned. It will now be hosted at the prestigious MEDEF, which is, of course, the home of the Federation of, of France's largest companies. So it's all systems go regardless, right? So we can't wait to see you there. Be there or be square. I know you've got a hectic schedule, my guy, but uh, I hope we can convince you to make a, make a turn to Paris. Uh, that would be nice, right? I'll take my wife as well to justify the trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might just be a holiday real quick. Yeah, man, of course. <laughs> okay, now all the commercials out of the way. Let's talk news. Come on now. 3310, Nokia 3310, my very first phone ever, 2002. I remember all the begging I had to do to convince my dad that I needed this phone. I was in my second year of varsity. And this brand new phone pretty much changed my life. I still have such nostalgic memories about this phone. So news that Nokia would be launching a new one. I said on the show that I'd be buying this phone when it came out. But that's before I actually saw what it looked like. And uh, yeah, it wasn't what I expected. What do you make of this whole thing? So, yeah, it's interesting. So, I mean, I, I, I never actually had the Nokia 3310 in its, in its early format. So, I was an Ericsson boy back then, funny enough. Um, but everybody that did own one um, and heard the news that it's coming back has been really, really on this tip about wanting to support and get back. But based on what you're saying, nostalgia. Um, so, I do know that a lot of people have been disappointed by what they saw. Um, but I do think they will get a little bit of market share. I mean, Nokia has been struggling, as we all know. Um, the features of the phone itself, uh, I'm pretty sure you can tell them why I'm not close to detail. But... Um, just based on the nostalgia element and being able to market something that once was a legend, it's like it's like creating Jordan 19s, you know. Um, it's kind of that thing that someone will always want to get, even though they don't really, you know, use the functionality. But you know, I suppose jury's out as to whether it'll work in our market, in our context, right? So let's talk about what's on it. Like you said, uh, some of the key things: a slightly larger screen, color screen that would put to shame my. You know, my old 3310. In fact, if I were to have a phone like that back in those days, I, I'd, I'd, be, I'd have gotten all the goals. You know, not that, not that I was trying that hard. Uh, but yeah, so any case, no, no, let's just say it's, it's a lot more than the dumb phone of years past. It's, it's got an earphone jack. It's got 16 gigs of memory. Uh, what else can I remember about it? Well, it's got 2G access and not uh, 3G. It's got an earphone jack, obviously, so you can listen to your music. Large enough memory to allow you to, um, to go jogging with you know, your stash of music, that kind of thing. But uh, it won't host any apps. It won't allow any apps to platform there. And then most importantly, that legendary battery life of 22 hours 
that they're promising people will actually get. Uh, I don't know if people are using their phones nearly as little as we did back in the day. So I don't know if 22 hours is guaranteed if you're going to be playing Snake all day <laughs> and listening to music. So, yeah, that's, what's, that's what you're getting. Does it have Snake, though? Have you confirmed that? Absolutely confirmed. It's got Snake, a very colorful format of the of the game. It's got Tetris 2. It's got a couple of games on there. So I'm sure you'll kill that battery quite dead if you if you play it all day. Um, but I think, to me, primarily the main thing is um, there's a vast difference between the needs of the developing world and, 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 and the developed world. It's pretty cool in America and Europe and in, 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 de- in the developing world to sort of, I want to disconnect. Because you've got wi- free Wi-Fi almost everywhere you go. If, if I'm in a taxi, I'm trying to let my mother know I'm safe and I'm getting home. It's raining in Joburg. You know what I'm saying? If, if I'm the average sort of African, I'm not trying not to have WhatsApp on my phone. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. I mean, because as you said, in, in a developed world, um, disconnecting is an option, right? Um, whereas here, yeah, disconnecting is our reality. Like, not many people have access. So um, while, yes, it may be very funky and cool, and I, and I also feel it. I mean, as a consumer, often I, I turn off my phone, turn off my data as much as possible. And I've thought a number of times about getting a device that's pretty, um, pretty one-dimensional. But, um, you know, that may work there. The question is whether it's sufficient to be able to, you know, to launch, uh, to launch and to have a phone like that actually compete. So will someone use it as a second device? Do you use this as your primary device? Because the reality is even when you want to disconnect, you still need to connect at some point. So I suppose that'll be you know, interesting whether people actually substitute to this as a primary device or whether they use it as a secondary device for the novelty factor, which I think is more likely the case. Um, and how long that'll last is also questionable. So Africa, you tell us, is this the kind of phone you would opt for over the many now relatively affordable options you have between low-end feature phones and high-end smartphones. Now, there's quite a, you know, there's quite a range uh, of, 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 of that's available in that space. Now, would you choose this over that? You let us know. Give us a shout on Twitter, at African Roundup. Moving on now, it's been shocking uh, the past few weeks as far as corporate corruption is concerned. Uh, firstly, you've got uh, the likes of Barclays Africa Group admitting to colluding with at least 12 other banks to fixing the price of the rand. Yes, and then there's the small matter of the Samsung Group's chairman and company heir, J.Y. Lee, being arrested and charged with bribery. In fact, he'll be on, um, he'll be on uh, uh, trial uh, in the coming week uh, in a case that's implicated South Korea's now-impeached President Park Geun-hee. Then, meanwhile, in South Africa, uh, some media reports have surfaced alleging that SAP South Africa Managing Director Lawrence Kandaswamy uh, has been involved in a $38 million software purchasing kickback scandal. I, I must stress alleged, okay? Um, now, the scandal is apparently linked to the Department of Water and Sanitation in South Africa. And, of course, we got a, a statement directly uh, from SAP this week uh, from Kandaswamy's boss, SAP Africa Managing Director Brett Parker, stating in no uncertain terms that he personally dismisses the allegations and considers them, quote, factually incorrect and unsubstantiated, unquote. And so what do you make of this? Um, uh, Business behaving badly, huh? Yeah, it's the age of exposure, man. (laughs) It's the age of exposure. You know, I think the leadership in business is called to to adopt a higher level um, of uh, we need to operate at a different level in terms of not only ethics but an understanding that in this day and age um, f- forgiveness when you've you know when you've defaulted as a leader is very difficult to come by 
Um, so it's it's very sad, but I think at the same time it's a good thing because we need more examples of the wrong thing sometimes to be able to get the right behavior. Um, but what is this, uh, probably the saddest thing is that you know bouncing back from scandals of this nature is virtually impossible because of the digital world that we live in. Um, but like I always say, I mean a bad situation is a good opportunity for anyone to learn from. So hopefully that is uh, hopefully that's the spirit. Um, you know it's never impossible to bounce back, but you know it's tough. And so also trending on social media, this double standard that's become quite apparent where um, big business doesn't seem to be held to the same standard that, say, celebrities are or, you know, government officials and that kind of thing. And granted, the pragmatic side of your brain should, should automatically know that they're not here for your health technically. But, and, and, and while government is, should be always in the public interest, or, you know, and, and celebrities always should love you or whatever, you know, Beyonce should always be about you know, trying to please you or whatever. Um, but there is, we have to admit, some kind of double standard where you know, banks can basically steal from people and then just you know, get to a, a podium and say sorry and, and then we must all just get on with our lives. You know, it's, it's a bit odd. Yeah, it's a bit odd and it's a bit unfortunate. But I suppose there's also the reality that you know, uh, does my life change with with, with or without Beyonce? Nah, maybe, maybe not. But does my life change without a bank that I potentially have millions invested in? Yes, it does. Doesn't make it right, though. Um, so I do think, in fact, that banks and organizations of that nature should probably be held to a higher account, in my view. Um, you know, there's lots of stuff that's happening from a governance perspective, all the king codes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and one would hope that those kind of things will drive the right behavior. But more importantly, I think there should be a higher penalty to be paid by, by, by banks and by uh, institutions like that. Um, not only because they can afford it, but because it's kind of almost an accepted behavior. So if you get it wrong once, I mean, we, we didn't learn from the banks uh, defaulting in, in America. Um, we are now doing it ourselves. It happened in Brazil as well. So, I mean, I think the behavior itself needs to be penalized to the extent that it should actually be a moment in time for anybody in, the, in a bank, in an executive team or CEO to go, you know what, that's something that we never want to ever do again. Whereas currently the punitive measure is kind of like, all right, it was bad, we got slapped on the hand, but, you know, if we have to do it again in the future, mm, forget away with it, we'll do it type thing. So I think that's probably more the problem is that uh, what precedent are you setting, you know, for people that are looking in and, and, and potentially executives that um, may be sitting through those, uh, those times. And what's now been billed as potentially the, the trial of the century in Korea with uh, Samsung's chairman going on trial, um, you know, has been preceded by reports of him pretty much running the company from his jail cell, you know. So, you know, those kind of things don't, don't serve to, you know, to give me a sense that um, corporations are as committed to, you know, best practice and as far as just doing the right thing as, we, as I wish they were. Yeah, which is once again, I mean, some of these internal governance issues are, are failing. If that's you know, if that's even possible, um, and I suppose you know, context is also important when you're running a business in, um, in 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 certain contexts, and you're given ultimate power as a chairman or, or as a CEO. Um, that in its very in itself is problematic. But for what's surprising for me is for an organization as big as Samsung um, to have you know the or not apparently have the checks and balances in the place. That's worrying. Um, you know, smaller businesses, somewhat you can understand, but at that level, it's just completely acceptable but you know as you said the, the trial is this week so let's see what comes out of it i'm pretty sure there'll be more <gasps> moments and more shock and horror so you know let's let's watch the let's watch the light the wires as they say <laughs> pretty much pretty much so let's talk safaricom uh it's interesting not i mean less than two weeks since um kenyan banks basically got together uh, to launch a, a concerted assault on 
you know, Mpesa. Just, just only 10 years after Mpesa launched. Just 10 years. I mean, it only took them 10 years to, to come up with a plan. But anyway, so this is less than two weeks since that's happened. And now there's this high-profile uh, report circulating, um, um, uh, put out by Analysis Mason, suggesting that um, the government or regulators, at least in Kenya, ought to consider um, forcing Safaricom to separate their mobile telco interests from their mobile money interests. And this is pretty much exactly what the banks were demanding when, when Safaricom uh, wanted to launch Mpesa 10 years ago. There's something to me uh, suggests that this is a coordinated uh, situation, but I, I, I could be wrong. Nevertheless, what do you make of the dominance that uh, Safaricom enjoys in East Africa thanks to Mpesa in a, in a space that's uh, pretty much outside of what they were initially incorporated to do. It's interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. If I remember correctly, I could be wrong, so don't quote me on this, but um, the government of Kenya had some stake or some interest in Safaricom, from what I understood. So uh, previously, obviously, there was, there, was, there was latent benefit for them not separating, obviously understanding the commercial opportunity. Um, Whatever has happened subsequent to that um, may have revealed, obviously, uh, the extent to which it could become a problem for a bank to have that kind of power. And to, so you're essentially putting you know, financial power together with, it, with information and technology power, which is a very dangerous combination on any given day. Um, so I think, yes, the, 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 the competitors back then were right to have asked for it to be separated. And I think maybe the ethical issues around having those two functions sitting so close together and having such a monopoly um, has become real. Um, I also think it's going to create a very skew market in terms of the forces. So if you've got such a dominant player on both banking and telecoms, um, what does that do to pricing? What does that do to uh, movement of talent? What is, you, know, you eventually will cannibalize the market, which I think is the, is the danger here. Um, so I think, yeah, I think, uh, I think the, the chickens may have come home to roost, but I think, uh, you know, hopefully sanity has prevailed. But let's, let's see how that goes. I've said often on the show that mobile telcos, I reckon, have currently the most valuable data set yes. in private hands uh, of any entity uh, on the continent. And, um, it's, and, and you see sort of the, the politics of that playing out in debates around spectrum and, and its reallocation or allocation in, 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 in sort of government contracts around, you know, big data, you know, management and that kind of thing. And really the, the, sub, the sub theme is governments trying to be like, listen, we missed this boat last time uh, in terms of like truly plugging into the most valuable data set possible. Uh, we're not about to try and do it again. And sometimes you see an overcompensation where, you know, regulation goes all the way, you know, in a direction that's going to impede innovation on one hand. And then you've got, uh, you know, commercial interests on the other just trying to basically profiteer till you know, kingdom come. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that's, that's a very interesting fact that you're mentioning because, you know, if you think about the mobile your your number those ten digits or whatever it is it's essentially like an ID right that's a, that's that's a footprint which as you said in the wrong hands could be a problem but um, the more technologically advanced people get and the more there's registrations it's just simply gonna uh, proliferate so the situation doesn't get better <laughs> you know it only gets better by being able to separate those two powers so as I said hopefully hopefully sanity prevails but I think ultimately it's not a bad thing um, that 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 request is happening. The the CEO of Safaricom, uh, Colin Moore, I can't remember his first name, he's come out pre- pretty much, I, I, well, I read a quote, I wasn't there to hear him say it, but he said it's a stupid idea. 
Uh, stupid was in the sentence. <laughs> Obviously, you'd say it was a stupid idea. <laughs> so I'm sensing he doesn't like the idea. <laughs> no, I mean, it's going, it's going to affect what he gets measured by. It's going to affect what he makes. I mean, obviously, he doesn't like the idea. No, it wouldn't, wouldn't be in his best interest unless he's the kind of man that likes to uh, serve humanity before his interests. But somehow, I don't know. I don't think so. Well, we'll see, Mr. Collymore, if you get your way and certainly if the regulators uh, see things uh, exactly how you do. Now, for our last story of the week, let's talk mobile money. Now, two venture capital interests, the Netherlands-based Velocity Capital and the U.S.-based Krona Capital, have led a Series A investment round in the South African mobile payments startup Yoko. Now, it's telling, I feel that uh, Yoko had to cross the oceans to find suitable partners to support their bid to sort of build on the success of enabling something like 6,500 South African merchants to accept card payments, totaling a rather impressive 1 billion uh, rand a a year. And I'm sorry to my listeners outside of South Africa. I didn't do the calculation as I normally do in in U.S. dollars. But, um, yeah, put it in Google and see what that makes. It's still a substantial amount of money for such a small business, essentially a startup started by these four, four, four individuals. And um, it certainly appears to me that uh, Quona and Velocity Capital have snapped up a peach, if you like, uh, from right under the noses of Africa's venture capital and institutional investment community, yeah? Yeah, it's sad. And I think it perpetuates this, this, this unfortunate reality that you export the coal from, uh, from, from Africa, you send it somewhere else, and someone sells it back to you in a different format, you know? Um, and uh, whether you look at entertainment, <laughs> Trevor Noah, or you look at Yoko, um, the principle is the same, is that locally we are not able to see value, um, even if it's right under our noses. And I just think there's a psychology around, around um, you know, African venture capital companies and, and startups that undervalues our own, uh, our own uh, ecosystem, undervalues what we can produce, doesn't inherently think that we do produce or are worth producing much. And therefore, it's a lot easier for a lot of startups to go and find money and appreciation elsewhere. Then what happens? Yoko comes back and they're superstars. And we, you know, it's post the fact. We lose all those, those foreign trades. Are not, I mean, those foreign outflows of money are going to Netherlands and where's the other place? The U.S. The U.S. So, so, so we lose out. So I think ultimately it's perpetuating something that has, been, that, that has been happening for a long time. It's just getting a little bit more sophisticated. I just hope that it's a wake-up call to venture capitalists to be um, a little bit more uh, patient with their capital because Yoko's been around for a while and they've been having lots of conversations but also for goodness sake let's take risks in businesses that are bo- that you know that are that are born in our um, you know in our backyards let's take risks in those businesses i mean at some point you know it has to change that we're relying on uh, the validation from a western market that we're actually producing amazing stuff it, it's, a, it's a complete frustration to me but uh, but well, then again big up to yoko well done um, big up uh, for, for that it's not something that should be sm- uh, just me uh, smirked at and i think we we will be seeing many more of those success stories i just hope that the root capital more and more is coming from you know from Africa as opposed to elsewhere. I, I do have to tip my hat though to um, some of what I'm seeing in terms of organizing, uh, in terms of angel investment interests on the continent starting to organize themselves. Shout out to the African uh, Business Angels Network, for example. Shout out to you know the the handful of homegrown uh, venture capitalists that are targeting uh, you know startups at the seed stage. Um, My gripe is primarily with institutional investment, which typically are required to take a deal from, you know, from a good, like a a really good idea that's been proved uh, to like potentially an international thing. And so we're talking pre-Series A sometimes, but Series A and, 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 and beyond. I mean, we need to start seeing our local institutional investment fraternity, you know, uh, you know, show sufficient love. I mean, 
Dominique Collett, uh, many of you will know, a good friend of the show. She's Senior Investment Executive at Rad Merchant Insurance Holdings. But before that, she was co-founder of uh, a mobile money startup uh, from South Africa called TIME, which stands for Take Your Money Everywhere. Pretty clever. Now, TIME's mission was basically to provide affordable yet, you know, at the same time commercially viable financial solutions for the unbanked low-income market here in South Africa. And in February 2015, Time was famously acquired by the Commercial Bank of Australia for a rumored $40 million, an amount that, of course, uh, many, I've, I've asked uh, Dominique many times to confirm she never does. Um, and the deal came together after Collett and her founders had pitched their businesses to various big-name VC and institutional investment guys on the continent. I mean, and she told me, basically, they were never taken seriously. They had, literally had to cross the seas. Um, to get Australia interested. And now the most frustrating thing has happened of late. Um, it's taken um, all the sort of uh, tech- technology upgrades they've, they've done to their system, the relationships they've made in, in countries like India, Vietnam, right here in South Africa, for a billionaire local investor, Patrice Motsepe, and his local VC, I think it's African Rainbow Holdings, to finally decide, hey, maybe 10% of this thing would be, uh, would, be, would be good for us. And let's be honest, CBA is only you know, offering that 10% because of poten- the potential access to the market, you know, partnering with, with something like African uh, you know, uh, Rainbow Holdings provides in terms of like, you know, taking BE boxes, black economic empowerment boxes, and, and getting the, the right of way, as it were, to, to, to corporate South Africa, commercial uh, South Africa. And it just frustrates me that... This might be just another telling of the same story. And as far as Yoko's concerned, not to take anything away from the guys and what they've achieved, but should they have had to travel that far to get this love? No, they shouldn't have. Um, you know, as I've said, I think it's it's ultimately very sad. And also, I mean, if you think about um, Africa Rainbow Holdings uh, coming late to the party and trying to put in their money, um, the value has been the value has already been realized, right? So they're buying into high valuation. They're paying their you know their ten million and getting their percent. But ultimately, that's not returning the value that we need back into the economy. It's still an extremely minority stake, as you're saying. It's a it's more legislation issue as opposed to a value adding issue. Um, is it a good business move? Uh, you know, I I. Uh, given that you had probably had the opportunity to be first in line, I think not. I think it's coming late, and I think it's uh, essentially just trying to put your hat in the ring because you didn't have the balls to take the risk. But um, once again, money is money, as they say. I think it's more the mentality around how we, you know, how we're spending the money, and to come late into a deal that was right under your nose is almost, an, you know, it's an admission of failure in my view. Um, you know, a business that probably I think Africa Rainbow Holdings are based somewhere in Santon. Time was literally in Rosebank, you know, and you missed it, and you the deal went over there, it came back, and then you bought in. It's like doesn't make sense. But as I said, yeah, you know, let's not take anything away from you know what they've done and where it's at i think we need a stronger call to action as far as institutional investment as well as um the many seed round and and and, and vc companies that are starting to get a little bit warm um i don't think you can critique the fact that it's increasing um i will however say that i think the rate that it's increasing is the problem you know we we don't have enough success stories and you know we we make a big deal about the ones that we do have but there should be a lot more stories than we are seeing given the volume of problems we're trying to solve across education across finance across health across all those things there should be a, a higher rate of these kind of things or these kind of stories, I, I think, anyway. You know, as you're speaking, uh, it, it, an example of that actually came to mind in the form of Investec, which uh, it was reported um, some weeks ago in Bloomberg, um, th- that they've basically become the go-to funder for the rooftop solar you know, sector in the U.S. They've pretty much 
dominated uh, that industry as far as financing the developers as well as backing the contracts to individual homeowners. Now, institutional investors in the U.S. typically would, you know, would have been shunning those that those kind of arrangements because they'd require, you know, a different kind of thinking, hybrid commercial models that they weren't willing to engage. Um, perhaps, you know, uh, the risk profile didn't suit their taste and. And Investec is cleaning up there. We need to start to see that sort of innovation, I feel, at that sort of level in terms of institutional funding start to happen at home. And we also don't uh, give the startup community on the continent, in South Africa and elsewhere, the notion that unless you've got a ticket to Silicon Valley, Australia, or Israel, or wherever else you think the money's at, your startup will never see, uh, you know, you'll never see the close of a Series A. You know, that's just something I feel very strongly about. Yeah, and we have to disprove that. And uh, as I said, we we all have a responsibility, especially those of us that are putting our hats in the ring. We've got a responsibility to change that. I think, yes, it's great to have um, your eyes set on a Silicon Valley. Yes, the money might come across easier. Seed funding being 250K here to get that kind of money if to sell a kidney. But, um, you know, we have to start somewhere. And I think starting somewhere means now that a lot of people have got the exposure and the understanding, um, we need to be doing the correct things in our markets to make sure we get to that level of realization. Uh, for an investor, I think it's it's genius to be investing in solar panels because I think that the boomerang effect is that at some point um, we know electricity is a problem on our continent. So they're positioning themselves, I think, in a very clever way. Um, yes, obviously, they have the balance sheet to do so, but um, institutional investments that are investing almost to learn and get ahead of the curve so that they can bring value locally, I think that's a very smart move. Um, you might take a bit of a hit in the next three to five years, um, but ultimately when you have the knowledge and you've got the understanding, scaling that here is going to be very easy. And then you've got a continent to expose. So, so I mean, we're talking scale to the extent of something like 808, I stand to be corrected because it's not in front of me, but $880 million worth of uh, you know, funding uh, to the tune of something like $1.5 I mean, that's what they've done, Like I, th- I believe, in 2016 alone. Um, as a South African investor in the U.S., in, a, in an area that's right under the noses of investors that are preferring to, to fund sort of larger infrastructure plays like solar farms and the wind farms and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I think it's, it, to me, it's an example of what ought to be happening right here. Yeah, I think, as I said, it's a, they, are, they are examples, and I think the problem is that they're few and far between. Um, the ones that are working, we should be learning from. And so we're going to round up the show by just delving a little bit into some of the things we talked about at FCB Africa Conference 2017. Um, really nice to share the stage with you, by the way. <laughs> Shout out to the, to the guys at FCB, one of Africa's leading um, advertising agencies, without a doubt. It was really fun to, to speak to um, their people. 30 African countries represented in that audience. It was really cool, really eclectic, uh, a vibe. Uh, to speak to and there were things that you said that really stuck with me um your talk about you know pretty much summing it up uh how important it is for us to start to realize how good for business doing good businesses you know so speak to that a little bit and uh and how you sort of came to that epiphany i don't know if it's uh, it's under wraps for now because i know you're working on on a book and 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 you obviously uh on the speaker circuit but i mean there's the thing you call the Kalenga conundrum, which I really like. I don't know if you want to talk about that. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure thing. Um, look, I mean, I think for me, a, a lot has come full circle. I've been very fortunate to, have, you know, started out a, a business kind of from scratch to uh, to being a, a kind of a small enterprise, and I went into the corporate world, and I've worked for 
um, two really great brands, and I've you know I've worked uh, you know most recently for Facebook, um, and I've just been observing the different things that I've seen um, around how it is that you create a business that will be future-proof, basically, um, and trying to understand the principle of sustainability, and trying to understand what leadership is required for us to show up in our best selves in the future. Um, a lot of it also has got to do me with me challenging myself. If I'm going to be building business and creating value, what is it that I need to be thinking about to make that happen? So, so my talk um, essentially act like a human, think like a brand. Um, tries to capture that spirit at, at its core. Um, explore kind of the human aspect of of of, uh, of leadership and, and of building brands and of and of being a business person. Um, and quite right, you know, there's a there's a term that I've coined called the Kalenga Conundrum, which essentially um, asks the question about um, two lines that should be intersecting or closer together. The first line is the Human Development Index, which um, essentially is a measure of how well or the wellness state of human beings is across the globe. Um, It's a number between zero and one typically. Um, And that number is essentially, the, the graph is going up, but it's growing up at a decreasing rate. So we're not seeing any kind of exponential change in the wellness of human beings, which is a problem. And that's happening at the same time as exponential growth in as far as tech and innovation and its adoption, which is crazy. Absolutely. And then the, qu- the conundrum is surely as tech gets better and we can send people to the moon, we should be able to feed people on Earth type thing. Um, so the conundrum for me is, you know, I really want to dedicate my life trying to understand how we get technology to serve humanity better. Um, and in so doing, we're lifting the levels of, 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 of wellness for, for everybody involved. And Africa, because we've got the lowest human development index out of all the countries um, and out of all the continents, um, I think even more so for us, um, that we need to find the problems and solve them. And technology is now at our beck and call. So, so essentially, that's what my talk was about. And, uh, and, and as I said, I'm, I'm hoping to dedicate my life to solving some of those big issues. And hopefully, we can um, make money while we're doing that. So that's and, and, and shameless plug, guys. Uh, if you've never heard this man talk and, and just unpack everything he's learned in his relatively short life. I mean, because you and I are pretty much age mates and... If you haven't done that, guys, I mean, just make a plan, try and follow his moves on social or whatever and figure out where he's going to speak to listen to this because he's not going to unpack it on the show. We don't have time, uh, you know, right now. And, and besides, you need to get the real thing. Um, what, what I can tell you is how it got me thinking at a personal level because on this show, I typically externalize stuff and it's usually over there. It's that company that should be doing this. It's that industry that should be doing this. I feel like startup founders should be doing this. And, you know, and... Your talk made me stop and think, okay, so about the role of tech yeah. in my life, yeah. which was what my talk was about, this, this, uh, the rise of hybridity and how I've, I've seen how something as basic, I know it's so cliche, how something as basic as Facebook or SoundCloud, Canva or flipping Instagram, iRig Mike, how that has fundamentally changed the trajectory, uh, how harnessing technologies that didn't exist two, three, five, 15 years ago has fundamentally changed my life for the better and opened up, you know, prospects that I didn't yeah. imagine would be, you know, would be, would be open to me at this time. And the question is, what am I doing to, to answer the conundrum issue where with all this access to technology and growth in my life, you know, what's my community benefiting from it? How is Zimbabwe a better country because I'm a citizen of Zimbabwe still? How is South Africa a better country because I'm resident here? How is Africa, you know, a a better place? How is the continent richer? How is the world richer because I'm here? 
and because I have these tools and the access to to these to the knowledge and so that that's actually how it's touchy feely. It, it, it ended up it ended up a little touchy feely, but yeah, I it, it really got me thinking, and I want to thank you for that, man. No, it's an absolute pleasure, and that's the idea. I mean, I don't think anybody's got a silver bullet to solve all the problems, and you know, sometimes you also feel a little bit disenfranchised or disempowered because we tend to want to have grand visions to change things and to which is good. But I think the more important thing is what's the, what's the next step that you can do to fix things. Um, and that typically will add up to the next step and the next step. So I think the start is, is more important than the grand vision. And I just hope, as I said, that, that, that hit home. Um, and, uh, and once again, as I said, it was great, uh, it was great sharing the stage with you. you know, we've been watching each other over the last couple of years and uh, a great concept around hybridity. You know, it, was, it was good to see you know, kind of the sum total of all of your experiences come together and, and to learn a little bit about you as well. You know, there's some things I found out there that I did not know. I hopped on the couch real quick. <laughs> yeah, there's some, there's some interesting back backstory about your Montessori education. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's that. There's that. Um, yeah, like, the, I can assure you, um, it's usually one of the more unexpected facts about me. People are like, you got Montessori, like they've got Montessori preschooling in Zimbabwe. Yes, they do. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was good to see um, that your your hippiness comes from 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 a root place. You didn't choose this life. This life chose you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> no, no, no. I am definitely a product of my environment, at least in part. So. <laughs> So listen, thanks so much for being here. Um, yeah, it's it's been quite an episode. Um, before I say goodbye, one more, one last time, uh, I want to say a big thank you to GoDaddy for sponsoring this episode of the African Tech Roundup. Really, really uh, grateful for their support of the show. Remember that you too can buy your own domain name. You can build your site or use any of GoDaddy's business tools to save thirty percent at trygodaddy.com forward slash African Tech. That's trygodaddy.com forward slash African Tech to save yourself 30%. And so that's it for this week, man. Do join me again next week on africantechroundup.com. But in the meantime, of course, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at African Roundup. Uh, We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. And of course, if you'd like to be part of the show, which we always love, um, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email via hello at africantechroundup.com or better than an email, send us an audio note that we can play on the show uh, so you can have your voice heard across the world. Now, Namusa, it'd be totally, totally uh, inappropriate and stupid of me if I didn't uh, let everyone know how they can follow your moves, uh, where they can find you, sir, whether they want to just, you know, follow you on social, um, hear you speak, book you to speak, buy your book, all of those good things. Where can people find you? Um, you can find me, uh, my, my website is uh, kalenga.me, um, that's K-A-L-E-N-G-A dot me, um, and I'm, I'm on all the social platforms, I'm on Twitter at Musa Kalenga, Facebook Musa Kalenga, LinkedIn Musa Kalenga, so all of it just my name, my surname, um, and if you want to book me, go to my site, um, or Iconoclasts, who are my agent, you can have a chat with them, but uh, yeah, I look forward to chatting. Proper man, thanks again man, this is, you, you get the last and the biggest thank you on this show this week, thank you so much for joining me i think you made it so much better you brought a vibe you're actually the very first person i've had um on the show at least live with me uh, presenting the show for 2017 so shout out for that man wow look at that look at that thanks my guy it's always good sharing the mic sharing the stage hopefully we share a lot more in future so thank you very much and africa tech roundup people keep supporting this man's doing good things oh that's very kind that was musa kalenga folks i'm still andy demasugo until next time do take care africa